Happy Mother's Day to everyone. How you doing? Good. Good. That's not convincing. Okay. Um, we're going to be in Genesis 16 today. It's sort of an, a different um, kind of uh, Mother's Day text. And so we're going to get there in just a second. Hey, finish this sentence for me. Mothers have eyes in the back of their heads. That's right. The idea is that mothers are sort of all-seeing. And so um, if you're doing something bad, they kind of see that. But there's also the positive side of that. That's when your kids say, hey, mama, watch this, and you watch, because that's what mothers do. The problem is sometimes you feel a bit like, if you're a mom, and maybe, maybe more people than mothers feel this way, but since it's Mother's Day, let's sort of focus there. We kind of feel like we're not seen. And so I read this, um, this kind of interesting little blog by a lady named Nicole Johnson. So I thought I'd read a little bit of it to you. The title is The Invisible Mother. So listen, if you would. One day I was walking my son Jake to school. I was holding his hand and we were about to cross the street when the crossing guard said to him, Who is that with you, young fella? Nobody, he shrugged. Nobody. Nobody, the crossing guard, and I laughed. My son is only five, but as we crossed the street, I thought, Oh my goodness, I'm nobody. As nobody, I would walk into a room and no one would notice. I would say something to my family like, Turn the television down, please, and nothing would happen. No one would get up or even make a move for the remote. I would stand there for a minute, and then I would say again a little louder, would someone turn the television down? Nothing. That's when I started to put all the pieces together. I don't think anyone can see me. I must be invisible. It all began to make sense. The blank stares, the lack of response, the way one of the kids will walk into the room while I'm on the phone and ask to be taken to the store, and all I can think of is, can't you see I'm on the phone? Obviously not, because I'm invisible. Some days I'm merely a clock to ask, what time is it? I'm a satellite guide to answer, what number is the Disney Channel? Some days I'm a crystal ball, where's my other sock? Where's my phone? What's for dinner? But I'm always invisible. One night some girlfriends and I were having dinner celebrating the return of a friend from England. She had just gotten back from a fabulous trip and was telling wonderful stories and I sat there looking around at all the other so put together, so visible and so vibrant women. It was hard not to compare and feel sorry for myself. I was feeling pretty pathetic when my friend turned to me with a beautifully wrapped package and said, I brought this for you. It was a book of the great cathedrals of Europe, and I wasn't exactly sure why she'd given it to me until I read her inscription. And she wrote, with admiration for the, great, the greatness of what you are building when no one sees. Johnson goes on to say that she read the book and she came up with four truths that we're going to kind of look at a little bit today about the building of these great cathedrals. By the way, uh, this is a picture of the cathedral in Cologne. It was started in 1220-something, 1220 and was completed in 1820-something. So it took 600 years to complete. But the truths that she came up with are these. No one can say who built these cathedrals with no record of their names, and so many of them Number two, uh, gave their whole lives for a work they would never see finished. Can you imagine you started this project and it wasn't completed for 600 years? Um, they made great sacrifices and no, with no expectation of credit. And the passion of their building was fueled by their faith that the eyes of God saw everything. So today we're going to look at this text in, um, in Genesis chapter 16. And it... You know, typical Mother's Day texts are like Proverbs 31, and, and I had somebody tell me right after the service, thank you for not preaching Proverbs 31, because I always feel so inadequate. And you know, the Proverbs 31 woman, she does all these things. And Well, this is a story about being seen. 
not being invisible. And, and I know mothers don't get credit for all that they do. I get that. But this is a story about the fact that God sees us. And before I jump into it, just let me say, this is, I like the Bible because it's real and it's raw and it doesn't paint our heroes as flawless. We're going to look at a guy named Abram who became Abraham and his wife Sarah who became Sarah. And this is one of the patriarchs of of Jewish faith. And yet in this particular story, there's really no way to make this sound good. So let's look at it and then I'll explain. Uh, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, although God had said to both of them, you're going to have a child and he's going to carry uh, your your name into the future. So they they got a little little worried. It's not happening for us. and We feel like we were promised and now it's not happening. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And that is, is absolutely as horrible as it sounds. Hagar has no say. She has no recourse. She is a slave who was given, it's, it's, she was given to him as a, as a wife, but as somebody to sleep with. Abram agreed with what Sarah said because he was stupid. I mean, it's really a stupid thing. I mean, it's like, good grief. Um, it's like whoever said to me, I, I, they said, I like your shirt. And I, I said, thanks. And he said, uh, it's nice of Miriam to let you wear that. Uh, see, that's just not, it's just stupid. Okay, so, um, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. At, at least there was that. He gave her as a wife. Uh, again, Hagar had no say in it. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, understand something. This is absolutely not God's will. It's compromise. And here's the problem with compromise. And let me just say this. Don't compromise. I, I understand their thinking. To understand their thinking doesn't make their thinking right. They've been promised a child. They're not having a child. So, okay, what can we do to make this happen? And sometimes when we try to work for God, oftentimes when we try to work for God, it doesn't work out to our best benefit. And this is just purely a compromise. God tells us about the, the constraints of sexual relations it are to be in, inside of marriage, husband and wife. This is what it's, where it's supposed to be. And, and you're not supposed to have multiple uh, wives and, and that sort of thing. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear on this. This was just plain compromise. And so if there's a message about that part of this scripture today, it's don't compromise. If you're in a loveless marriage, don't compromise. If, if you're underpaid and, and uh, unappreciated at work, don't compromise. If, if you're uh, financially strained, don't compromise. If you're lonely, don't compromise. If, you're, uh, if everybody else is doing it, don't, you don't compromise. The second kind of important thing about this is, even though this wasn't God's will, God somehow used it for His glory. I look at Abraham and I think to myself, if God can use that guy, he can use any of us. So you might have a messed up life, you might have done some messed up things, God still can use us. You're, you're never so far gone that God can't use you. And this is, good. This is great encouragement. And so, um, next in the story, Sarah mistreated, Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and he said to her, 
Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And Hagar responded, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. God often asks us the question, or at least prompts us to ask ourselves the question, where are you going? It's really important to know where you're going. If you think about it, uh, Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, when they sinned, it, the Bible tells us that God was walking uh, in the cool of the afternoon and he calls out, Adam, where are you? It's not like he doesn't know. And when, when uh, the angel of the Lord speaks to Hagar, it's not as if they don't know. He doesn't know what's going on. But it causes us to think, hey, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going with my life? It's a, it's a good question. Then the angels of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that you'll be too numerous to count. That's no small thing to go back. If you were an escaped slave, and one has to assume, or at least, yeah, I think you're assuming that, that Sarai and Abram had probably noticed that Hagar had run away. If she comes back, then it could be as severe as execution. I mean, runaway slave, that was a big, big thing back in that day. And so if you ran away, you didn't have, you had... You had no rights to begin with, now you're going to be mistreated even worse. But it's interesting at this point what Hagar says. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. And in Hebrew it's called El Roi, the God who sees me. So what does it mean that God sees us, that God knows what's going on? Well, the first thing is He knows what's going on. It was no shock to God, and it's never a shock to God when we do things, that we do things. It wasn't a shock that Hagar ran away. It wasn't a shock that Sarai was mistreating her. No shock. There's no shock in your life that God is, is shocked about. Nothing happening that you're doing that God is saying, I didn't know that was going to happen. And if you recall, the first truth about the cathedrals was, no one can say who built them. We have no record of their names, and sometimes as a mother you feel like nobody knows, but, but God knows. In fact, look at what Jesus one time said, uh, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that in your giving it might be secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God sees, He, he always sees. I heard a little girl about a little girl, and she said to her mom, a little five-year-old girl, Mama, I know what I want to be when I grow up. It's like, okay, well, what do you want to be? I want to be four things. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be an astronaut. And I want to be the president. Wow, that's, that's pretty good. And she said, well, what about being a mommy? And she said, no, no, that's too tough. Uh, we, we understand motherhood is really difficult. I, I read about a couple of guys. Their names were uh, Valerio Zeno and Dennis Storm, uh, Dutch uh, guys on television. And they were sort of making fun of women for um, how they complain about how difficult childbirth is. Um, so they were sort of saying, hey, they're ex exaggerating. So they, they went to a place that um, simulates contractions. So they, they were hooked up to these machines they were to simulate contractions. The idea was they were going to last for two hours and then kind of make fun of women. And for the first, I don't know, five minutes they were doing okay. And then the contractions got rougher. And this is what they look like. They're not laughing, by the way. One of the, the nurses said, um, focus on a spot in the ceiling to get through the contractions, to which he said, I can't focus. I think I'm about to die. And so uh, one of them said, I thought it was torture. 
course, he was Dutch, so I don't know how tough those Dutch eyes are. But anyway, um, I'm fairly certain, I'm fairly certain, um, we as men don't appreciate how difficult this is. And here is Hagar, and she feels misunderstood, and she feels mistreated, and she gives God a name. And I think it's a name we all need to give God. Because there are times when we're going through difficult stuff, and we just need to know that God is there, that God sees us. This Egyptian slave is the only person in Scripture who ever gave God a name. Now, God has names. He's kind of self-named. Some of the different names, these aren't all of them. These are just a few. He calls himself El Elyon, which means he's the God Most High. He calls himself El Shaddai, which is the God Almighty. He calls himself El Olan, the everlasting God. Jehovah Rapha, who is the God who heals. Jehovah Shalom, who is the God of peace. But the message of El Roi is God sees you. You're never alone. You never, never were. You never will be. And maybe the good news is it's not just He notices you, He sees you. I, I love this text in 1 Samuel. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward, the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the hearts. Now, I find this text simultaneously comforting and convicting. Because if God knows, then He knows my motive. And I might do something and it be for the right motive and some people might think it's for the wrong motive. They, they might attribute my good intentions as bad intentions. But God knows. This is comforting to me. Even if somebody mistakes what I'm trying to do as bad, um, God knows. Now, I find it also convicting that sometimes I might be doing something which is incredibly self-serving, and people might say, oh, he's doing it for other people. God knows that too. It's also convicting. The truth of the matter is, God knows. And I know that God has my best interest at heart. We talked about this last week, but I don't know, does anybody else get creeped out? Sometimes I'll say something to Miriam on the phone, or I'll talk to somebody on the phone. Let's say, for example, I say something to her about... Um, I'm thinking about buying a new mower. I'm thinking about buying, I'm not, by the way, but I'm thinking, let's say I'm thinking about buying a new mower. And then the next thing I know, next time I'm on the computer, there are mower ads. And I think to myself, uh, I feel like somebody's watching me. It's like a song. I always feel like, I, I feel like somebody's watching me. I, you're all too young for that. Uh, I, I feel like somebody might be watching me. Well, I, I did a little research on this. There's a, there's a website called Sun News, and they say this. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter don't need to spy on your real-life conversations because you hand over much of your information anyway. They already have a staggering amount of information on you already. Advertisers can usually uh, uh, use this information gleaned from your activity across the web on multiple devices. So if you're checking whatever, wherever, they know it. They likely know where you live, what you like, who your friends are, how much money you make, your political beliefs, and much, much more. So, when you get ads for something you've talked about out loud, it's almost certainly just advertisers being very good at predicting your interest. Well, I feel better now, don't you? I mean, they're not really spying on you. They just know everything about you. Okay, great. What I know about advertisers is this. They don't have my best interest at heart. And when I see those, all they're doing is trying to sell me. When God sees me, he has my best interest at heart. Number one, God knows what you're going through. Number two, he's not surprised by what you're going through. Or maybe better said, he sees what's happening behind the scenes. Look at, remember the second truth. The builders gave their whole lives for a work 
they would never see finished. And you know, you've heard the expression, a mother's work is never done. And here we have Hagar, and you talk about encouraging. Woo! This next text, are you ready to be encouraged? I can see. All right, thank you for that one response. Are y'all awake? Uh, you're thinking about Mother's Day brunch, aren't you? It's okay, it's okay. I'm going to encourage you because Hagar got uber encouraged here. Look at this. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you're going to give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Wow. Uh, volunteers for that job? Uh, anybody want to raise a wild donkey? Maybe you did. Uh, you may have married a wild donkey of a man. But, but uh, this isn't super encouraging. And then it gets better. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Whoopee! I mean, good grief. If you think about it, this was not an assignment that most of us would want. A wild donkey of a man? Um, there are lots of ways to rephrase that, and I couldn't think of any of them I could use today. I mean, it's like he is, he is really going to be tough to handle. But you know what? Mothering sometimes includes some situations with kids are hard to handle. It's been that way with, with Bible moms as well. Uh, Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. You talk about a broken, broken heart. Not only did Cain kill Abel, but then Cain was, was set off, was put away. He had to leave. He was exiled. So he basic, she basically lost both sons in one day. You have Jochebed, that was Moses' mom. and She lived in a time where the Pharaoh had said, if you have a baby boy... We want you to throw him in the Nile River so the crocodiles can eat, eat him. I mean, it was a. There have been horrible times in the history of the world where people just are horrible. This was one of them. And Jochebed, she hid her son. You all know the story of Moses. She hid her son away for three months. But once she, once she decided that she could do it no longer, she made a little basket and, and she made sure it was watertight and she put it in the Nile and she floated it down the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter happens to find, by God's providence, this little baby. And, again, by God's providence, this uh, Pharaoh's daughter hires Jochebed to, to nurse this little baby named Moses. But then, then, once the baby was weaned, she had to give him away. Now think about this. You're, you're a Jew. You're, you have Jewish beliefs. You're a, a slave to the pharaoh and, and to the egyptians uh, you believe one thing you believe there is a god you believe there's one god the pharaohs the the egyptians believe there are many gods i mean you were sending him off to a difficult situation you think about that heartbreak and then you have mary i mean think about mary the mother of jesus who not only witnessed the crucifixion she's likely to have witnessed when they said crucify him she, she perhaps witnessed when he was tortured before he was crucified. And it's not as if she didn't understand it was coming. When Jesus was seven days old, they took him to the temple to dedicate him. And it says that there was a prophet there named Simeon. And he said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword, he says to Mary, will pierce your heart your soul too. Mothering can be soul piercing. 
I've been a pastor long enough, and I've talked to enough moms whose children have gone astray or bad things have happened in their life to know this is a difficult time. And I suspect that raising Ishmael was incredibly, incredibly difficult. I saw this cute meme the other day. My daughter asked me what it was like to have kids, so I interrupted her every 11 seconds until she cried. Uh, I like that. I think that's probably apropos. God sees what effect you're having even when you don't see it. I have a wife and four daughters, and I look at those girls of mine who I suspect got very, very little from me um, because they're great. Um, and I watch how Miriam deals with them. And I watch how she prays for them. And they probably don't know that. But I see it. And even if I didn't see it, God sees it. God knows. And God knows what you're going through. And it doesn't surprise Him what you're going through. And He sees, even though maybe nobody else sees. Which leads me to the third thing. He also empowers us to sacrifice. If you'll recall, the third truth of the cathedrals, they made great sacrifices and expected no credit. And that sounds a lot like mothers. In Genesis 16, it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. And now think about this just for a second. You've been mistreated. Now you're told to go back to get more mistreatment. And sometimes as mothers or as parents, we have to just bite our tongue and do what we have to do. Mothers make sacrifices all the time. You sacrifice fashion when you get pregnant to wear those maternity clothes. You sacrifice sleep when your child is sick all night throwing up. You sacrifice your social calendar to go to ball games and to go to concerts and to go to plays and to go to other activities. You sacrifice vacations in order to put braces on their teeth. You sacrifice sanity in order to find the things that are laying right there in plain sight. Mothers do without because they have a sacrificial nature to them. I am the youngest son of three. I'm the, I'm the only son and youngest of three siblings. Uh, I've got two older sisters. They have a nickname for me. They call me the chosen one because evidently uh, I got more than they did. <laughs> Whatever. Um, that is uh, false, by the way. Um, I got what I deserved, and uh, so, uh, you know, it happened to be more uh, tough luck. Anyway, I do remember my mother, and I see Miriam, uh, I remember my mother making sacrifices, like there would be one piece of cake left, and all three of us would want it, and she would divide it into thirds and take none. I've seen that. Elise and I were out shopping for my wife last night for Mother's Day, because why would you want to do it any earlier than that? Uh, and so... Uh, we're out shopping. We're trying to figure out what does she want for breakfast. And so I, I said, well, at least what does she like? And she said, I don't know what she likes. You should know what she likes. She's been married. It's like, we don't know what she likes because she always cooks what we like. And that's, that's, that's what mothers do. And God empowers us to do that. And sometimes you sacrifice and you don't see the benefit. But here's the fourth thing. God sees us. He listens to us, he provides for us. And if you'll recall, the fourth truth, the passion of their building was fueled by their faith that the eyes of God saw everything, that God knew everything. And so the situation with Hagar, going back to our narrative, becomes unbearable again. She has a son named Ishmael. She um, raises this son in this complex. But then Sarai, who becomes Sarah, finally has a child and... His name is Isaac, and 
Sarah is jealous for Isaac of Ishmael. And so she says to Abraham, you need, you need, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll show you how she did it. You need to send her away. That's what she said. You need to send Hagar away. That's what she said. Just like that. The finger and everything. You need to send her away. And so, Abraham, because he's so manly and brave and he's a provider and a protector, sends her away. Again, if God can use Abraham, he can use any of us. Now, look at this text. Again, it's, it's horrible. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, and he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. That brother is rich as can be. Abraham has resources, and he sends her with some food and one container of water. Now you can imagine what happens. Hagar and Ishmael go a distance and they, they're in the desert without water. They run out of water and, and Hagar can't bear to watch her son die. The text says she cannot bear to watch her son die. So she takes him and sits him under a tree and she goes a distance away. And then the story goes like this. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What is the matter? Do not be afraid. And over and over in Scripture, the the Lord tells us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God sees. God knows. God will provide. Do not be afraid. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. I'm going to show you a little video clip. It's not a great clip. It's it's an old, kind of old. You can't hardly hear it real great. It's of a pastor by the name of E.V. Hill. Pastor Hill was from uh, Sweet Home, Texas. He was one of several children. Um, He lived in an era where uh, black children couldn't go to school, and yet he went to school. Um, He went in an era where most uh, little black children ended up in the cotton fields or working someplace, and he finished high school. And he was the only uh, one in his class to graduate and became a great pastor, by the way. But this story, he tells about the time that his mom sends him off to college. Now, nobody had been to college much. I mean, they, they don't, in that era, he didn't even, many of his peers, none of his peers even finished high school. And to, to say, for his mom to say, you're going to go to college, would be like me saying to Elise, you're going to go, you're going to be a Martian. You're going to fly to, to Mars. It just, it was so unbelievable. And I want to show you this. Uh, the problem showing uh, E.V. Hill, the way he preaches, is that you should never expect that from your pastor. So uh, just so you know, he's great. Watch this. And then Mama shocked the whole audience, and everybody was ready to lock up by saying, my boy's going to college. My boy's going to college. Well, ain't nobody in that community had gone to college, and I don't know when. And he said, but Ed's going to college. And Mama packed up my little suitcase and wrapped it in a rope and bought my ticket to go to school 200 miles away and gave me $5, all she had, and said, now get on this bus and go on down there to college and don't worry. And she said, and you know the reason why? I'm going to pray for you. And that's all I needed was mama praying. 
And I got on that bus and splurged on the way and arrived at Purview with a dollar ninety cents in my pocket and walked into the bursar's office and a sign said, have $83 cash, cashier's check, or money order. And I said, now, where do you get in line to pay? And they said, right here, right here. Here's the line right here. Just get in line. I said, all right. And I got in line, and the devil said, now, what are you doing? Can't you read? It says $83 cash. Do you have that much cash? No. Do you have a cashier's check? Never had one. Don't know what it is. Do you have a money order? No. Well, then get out of line. No, I'm not getting out of line. Why? Mama said <laughs> she was going to pray for me. And worked thus far. It brought us thus far. Papa died when I was 11. We had nobody to help us. We had no government to mail us a check. And I stayed in line. And then there was only three people between me and the clerk. And the devil came back and said, all right now, you're getting ready to be faced one of the greatest embarrassments. What are you going to tell that clerk when she says $83? You're going to say, mama's home praying for you? Get on out of line now and you got a dollar ninety cents. Thumb your way on back home. Go on back to the cotton patch. Go on back to the peanut patch and shake a few more peanuts and maybe you can come next year. But do away with this business of faith and prayer. I said, I'm not going to do it. Mama told me to come to school. And Mama told me she was going to pray for me. And I'm going to stay in line. And then there was only one. And that's when my faith began to weaken. I said, Mama, Mama, there's only one left. But I stayed in line. And the girl who paid her money paid it, and then she began to wrap up a purse and took just the minute that was necessary. And at that very time that she was backing away and I was walking up to say what I didn't know what I was to say, I didn't know what I was going to say, but at that very moment, Dr. Drew, the dean of the college, said, by touching me on the shoulder, are you E.V. Hill? I said, yes. And he said to the clerk, wait just a minute, has he paid his money? She said, no. He said, you haven't paid? No, I haven't paid it yet. I'm, I'm, I'm here. But, but, but I haven't paid it. And, 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 and so he said, well, don't pay it. Because we've been looking for you all the morning. We thought you'd come straight to our office. And we don't want you to pay nothing. Because we have approved a four-year scholarship that will pay all of your tuition, all of your room and board, will buy your books, and give you $30 a month to spend. So don't waste your money. Don't pay. And when I got out of line, I heard Mama's voice saying, and I will pray for you. Glory to God. I could have retold that story, but not like that. I mean, good grief. I don't know that God always provides that way. In fact, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. But the Bible does say this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. Mother's Day can be a difficult day for some people. I've got a, a good buddy whose mom died this year. It's a difficult day for him. I've got mothers that I know of whose children aren't where they want them to be. It can be a difficult day. Mothers, don't, don't give up. 
Listen. Just like the lesson of the great cathedrals. You're doing a great work. And though you may never see the end result, you keep on. You continue to sacrifice because what you're doing is important. And God sees you. And He knows. And you might not get credit. And you might not get acclaim. And you might not get thanked. You keep on. Because God sees you. You keep praying because God knows. God knows. Father, we're thankful for the mothers who've prayed for us. The mothers who didn't give up on us. We thank you, Father, for the inspiration that they are to us. Today is a day, Lord, where we are reminded through your word that no matter how bad it gets and no matter what happens in our life that you know, you're not surprised. You somehow miraculously, amazingly are able to take difficult situations, sinful situations, and redeem them. I don't know how you do it, but you do it. We're reminded, Father, that you love us, that you know us, that you see us. Help us to walk in that truth. Help us to walk in the truth that you know, that you see, and that you care. We pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.